Welcome back to Talking Risks. It's a podcast about taking risks. Every week we have an entrepreneur on who will share his or her beginnings, strategies, losses, victories, and their pursuit of their legacies. We hope in doing this that we can expand our education and your education on entrepreneurialism and hopefully provide some motivation for you to go out and achieve your legacies. Uh, my name is Eric Reese. I'm a co-host of Talking Risk, and I own a law firm. It's called Aspen Legal, www.aspenlawteam.com. My co-host is Ricky Hall. Ricky? Hi, I'm Ricky Hall. I am the founder of Nutrition HQ and Nutrition HQ Franchising. Our guest today is uh, someone who I have known for probably decades <clears throat> Uh, always been impressed with everything that he has done. Uh, he is in a constant pursuit uh, to grow his legacy. His name's Munsak So. Munsak? Yes. Thanks for having me. Of course. Munsak, tell us a little bit uh, about your companies uh, and your brands. Again, uh, my name is uh, Munsak So. Um, originally from South Korea. Came over here when I was six years old. Um, so I've been living here in, in the United States for pretty much all my life. Um, I own So Hospitality Group, which is a hospitality company that owns and operates the Drunken Fish restaurants here in St. Louis and also in Kansas City. Um, also Kimchi Guys, which is a fast casual cream fried chicken restaurant, and 612 North, which um, operates uh, events uh, for weddings and corporates, uh, parties and things of that sort here in St. Louis. And Munsak's writing a book, From South Korea to South St. Louis. Oh, I made that part up. <laughs> Why would you write such a book? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be an interesting book, for sure. All right. So, uh, as you know, if you've listened to our podcast before, we uh, start this with uh, something called Hot Topics. Hot Topics. Hot Topics are things that Ricky and I have talked about over the course of a week, things that we've read about or pondered. Uh, this hot topic is something that we probably pondered over too many scotches, uh, but uh, it's what we've talked about, Ricky, for years and years, and that is uh, greed. Um, my position on greed, and I think Ricky agrees, is that greed will destroy all relationships, both business and personal, and the problem with greed is that it's just human nature. I was reading... Uh, psychology today's uh, take on greed and of course they want to explain it all about you weren't loved enough as a baby etc etc and the fact of the matter is I think that they were just afraid to just come out and say greed is normal in human beings I've represented so many people over the years that have partnered with others and uh, I always tell them Look, there are two times that you guys are not going to get along. One, when the company is losing money because it's your fault, can't be my fault because I'm working hard. And the other uh, time that you don't get along, interestingly enough, is when the company's making a ton of money uh, because, gee whiz, I'm entitled to more because I'm working harder than you. Just an example of greed. But greed kills, <coughs> kills everything in my experience. Yeah, and it it not only will come between yourself, your business partners, your staff, 
it will trickle down into your customers, I believe, also. Oh, sure. And so, um, you know, my, my feeling is, is that, and, and part of this, I think, is just getting older. Uh, all of us around this table have, have been around for a while, gotten our teeth kicked in. Not everything that we've done has been successful, or certainly not, not me. Uh, so part of this probably is just wisdom, when we're younger and we can't wait to have uh, the cars and the houses and everything else, uh, I think that that's probably normal, a normal behavior. Uh, but I'll tell you this, that if you're just working for the money, if you're just working to screw the other guy, if you're just working to screw your employees, if you're just working to get a bigger house, there's always somebody with a bigger house than you uh, our business down at the Lake of the Ozarks, you can get as big a boat as you want, and then some jackass is going to come by with a boat twice as big. It, it is a zero-sum gain if you're just chasing the money. There's always going to be somebody richer and with more shit than you have. There's all, yeah, and there's gonna be, the boat's going to be bigger, the boat's going to be faster, the jet's going to be newer, it's it, going to fly faster. Exactly. But if you're, if you're working for a legacy, I, I think, to leave an impression, right, to look back. And, and the person that you should try to achieve to impress as an entrepreneur is yourself. I, I don't know about you guys, but when I'll sit back on my deck at night smoking a cigar and drinking a scotch, I always think about my losses, not my victories. I don't, I don't sit there. That, you know, if you take a look around... Uh, this office, you don't see any law degrees. I also don't have my, you know, grade school grades up, for Christ's sake. Those are just uh, things that uh, people might consider an accomplishment. I don't ever think about my accomplishments. I think about the things that I could do better, uh, which which makes me drive even harder the next day. Yeah, and that's actually one of my favorite um, Oscar speeches is Matthew McConaughey talking about chasing himself and who you after myself in 10 more years and myself. And he basically says, I'll keep chasing myself over and over and over again and getting better and better. And uh-huh. that's, that's what will make you successful too. And I always like to bring this up when Eric and I met after I spoke, uh, split from my last franchise, we're walking down the streets of uh, Clayton and you go, the day you get greedy, I will not represent you anymore. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, and we believe in that culture. And when we bring on new franchisees now, we're not chasing a check. If yeah. you chase the check, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. Cause you'll destroy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever it is, if nothing else, you'll destroy a personal relationship that's important to you. And in the end, you'll destroy yourself because you'll be a dick and nobody likes you. Right. And, and that's just the way it is. And, and my guess is, uh, we've all known those people. Maybe we've been those people at some point. But uh, but guard against it because I do think it's human nature. I do think it's very easy. I see people coming together and, you know, they've got the great idea for a business. And I think it's great. And they're all getting along, drafting up the operating agreement or drafting up the shareholder agreement. And then somebody starts projecting and they go, well, you know, what happens when this thing gets really big? And then they start saying, well, maybe I ought to have more of a percentage, right? They start arguing about percentage of ownership. It's like, guys, quit. Quit your projecting, right? The, the thing is probably never going to meet those sorts of expectations. So now you're already destroying your relationship from the get-go. It makes no sense. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 
All right, so um, we're going to get to uh, Munsak. We're going to talk with him about uh, first his beginnings. And Munsak, if you will, um, uh, and again, the show's not about immigration, but certainly your story is, is interesting coming from South Korea to the United States. I mean, how did you get here? Uh, I think in 1980, um, you know, I was a young kid, five, six years old. My sister was a couple of years older than me. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had, at the time, we didn't know what it was, but we know she has muscular dystrophy now. Oh, gosh. And so at the time, uh, she was having some difficulties uh, walking and, and things that I saw. We didn't know what it was. And so my my aunt, my, my mother's sister, lived over here in the United States already. And uh, and told her, hey, there's better medical facilities here in the, in the United States. We'll sponsor you over. Sure. So that was one of the main reasons I think we came over to the United States. And uh, we had made that leap as a family and uh, um, really trying to make sure that we get better opportunities and primarily see if there's better medical facilities for my older sister at the time. Sure. And so how, how did you immigrate? I mean, did you immigrate under... What sort of visa or whatever did your dad or mom get? My my uh, my obviously my aunt had citizenship here and okay. she was married to an American person. Okay, uh, met them and in, in the military in, in, in Korea, and so she has sponsored my mom and my family over. Okay, yeah, as yeah. A, uh, and so we, we came over and we uh, uh, stayed at their place for about six months over uh, over in. Um, uh, Illinois side. Okay. And uh, about six months later, we, you know, got a house uh, over in South City area. Okay. And uh, we started doing uh, a lot of the medical stuff, obviously, for my sister at the time. Sure. And so at that time, we figured out that she had muscular dystrophy. And she's in a wheelchair now. Okay. Uh, but she gets around everywhere fine. Yeah. I mean, she drives. And, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good. So, yeah, you know, there's a lot of great technology out there in the medical field sure. where she's able to get around. But, uh um, and it only affects her extremities, her hands to her lower arm and her, uh, her feet and her lower legs. Okay. And so, um, yeah, that was so one of the main reasons why we came to the United States. Well, did your mom and dad, were they, did they have means? I mean, did they, did they have bucks from... No. So- you know, my dad was a uh, cab driver in, in South Korea. Oh, wow. So when they came over here not knowing English... Um, and trying to make ends meet. I mean, they both went into custodian work okay. uh, at local schools yeah. uh, in the Clayton High School District. Okay. So they were both custodians yeah. um, trying to make ends meet, obviously. Yeah, so so often in the franchising industry, we, uh, we bring people in through the EB-5 or the E-2 program. The EB-5 is where they put, well, now it's a million bucks you got to put in. Basically, buy your way in the United States by buying a business, uh, the E2 is, is a bit different. It's a lot cheaper to get in. But with EB5, you don't need to really participate in the business. You need to own it. With E2, you, you really need to participate uh, in the business. So I'm always curious with respect to people who have come over you know, during their lifetime. I'm, I'm sure my people came over, but good Lord, that was generations ago, mm-hmm. and who have become successful. So your mom and dad obviously were working hard, and they mm-hmm. did it for all the right reasons for their kiddos. Mm-hmm. So uh, where did you go to school from, from there? I predominantly went to public schools growing up. Okay. I uh, went to a magnet high school called Health Careers. They don't exist anymore. Okay. And, uh, and went to St. Louis University for college. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, is your sister older or younger? My older sister. I have a younger sister as oh. well. Yeah. Okay, so um, so you went through SLU, and then where did you go? 
That's it. It's a oh. four-year degree from St. Louis University uh, with a clinical laboratory science degree. So which doesn't really help you in, in anything <laughs> that I do now, but, you know. We have never talked about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So what did you start doing after you got out of college? I opened up a uh, small bar oh. over in uh, Collinsville, Illinois, um, right out of college with a college buddy of mine. And that was kind of the start of my business career. Wow. Back, uh, how many years ago was that? A lot of years. Yeah. So, so what made you like, jump straight into a bar? Were you working in the hospitality business? No, I wasn't. I was, uh, so I was. You like to drink. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> kids at that age all like to drink, you know. That's right. Um, but I was throwing uh, college parties a lot with some, some buddies of mine, and we were very successful at it in college. And so I thought maybe that skill set, skill set can kind of move into running a bar, running a nightclub. So by running a college party, that clearly, I, I just had a very small group of friends, and we all uh, smoked funny things and drank mm-hmm. whiskey in dorm mm-hmm. rooms and apartments. So, so what does that mean, running a college party? I, so I literally you, don't know. Really, it's all about promotions. It's, it's about picking a place okay. where you let people know that this is where. Uh, a good time's gonna happen. Okay, you know, get a DJ. Yeah, you contract that out, and then you promote the heck out of it, and you collect cover charge when they come in. Okay. so you get a couple hundred people. You sp- you know you you know you let them uh, come in for five dollars a person, and then you split that. That's money. awesome! Wow, yeah. so I that's, thought that was just in movies. <clears throat> no, no, it actually it really, happens. I'm sure it happens now. So you, you know? were in business. You were in the hospitality business while you were in college. Pretty much. Pretty it, much. By and, default. Right. It, By yeah. default. Yeah. But what made you get, what made you come up with that idea? In college, you're saying? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just something that I thought would be fun to do. Okay. And uh, at the time, I was hanging out with some people that were also kind of enjoy kind of promoting parties. Yeah. And, and it's really just about marketing and promoting and, yeah. and meeting a lot of people through okay. that process. Yeah. You uh, know, which led me to getting out of college and deciding, do I want to pursue that? Sure. As, a, as an entrepreneur. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you bought a bar. Did you buy it from somebody or did you start so, the bar? So I accidentally run into this place in Collinsville. It was connected to a travel lodge. So think about that. Okay. A travel lodge, <laughs> hotel. Nice place. In, oh, yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> and uh, it was a hotel lounge. And I remember meeting up with a friend that lived in um, Mary, Maryland. No. What was the name of the little town? Maryland Heights? No, no, no. Maryville. Maryville, Illinois. Right up the road. Yeah. Yeah. So we ended up uh, meeting up with him in this little small hotel lounge. And there was literally the owner was in there and a bartender and like three other people. And you guys were 21 years old. We were 21 years old. And we're like, (laughs) immediately I'm going, man, this place is slow. (laughs) They need somebody to promote this place. Yeah. You know? Sure. And so from then on, I started coming in um, frequently just to check out the business level. So right. I came back in the next uh, couple of weeks, maybe four or five times. Right. And it was just as slow. Yeah. You know, so tell me you called it the travel lounge, right? <laughs> That's a great name, the travel lounge. <laughs> Definitely wasn't the travel lounge. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. So, uh, so we decided, so at that moment, I started talking to the owners about, hey, what are your, what are you trying to do? You know, yeah. what are you trying to sell? So she, it was a lady that owned it, mm-hmm. wanted to sell it. Ah. And so just the just the bar or the motel? Just the bar. Okay. Just the bar. It was huh. yeah, so she was paying rent to the travel lodge. Oh, okay. Very prestigious travel yeah, lodge. Right, yeah, right. And so immediately I got a friend involved that uh went to college with me that used to throw parties with me. Okay. And I was like, Hey, you wanna do this thing? And he's yeah. like, Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> 
So we started negotiating with her and and obviously she wanted a, a dollar amount that was way above yeah, our budget. Sure. Of course. As college, yeah. uh, we just graduated from college. A thousand dollars? Who do you think oh, we are? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so we're, we were trying to get to a point where we didn't have to buy the business, that we would just run the business ah. and split the cost of the business because we didn't have any money. Okay. So we're like, hey, we're trying to convince this lady, hey, we'll run it. We'll promote all the parties for you. Yeah. You use your own business license, liquor license. Yeah. And whatever we bring in, Management. let's just split it 50-50. Management agreement. Yeah. yeah. And she said she wanted to get out of it, you okay. know? And so at the time, we ended up kind of talking to also the owner of the hotel. Okay. She wasn't paying any. We found out she wasn't paying any rent. Ah. So the, the hotel owner said, if you want to just take this business over, huh? I'd rather just give it to you. Wow. So we're going, well, maybe that's a better option, yeah, actually. Right? 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 Yeah. And so we ended, up, we ended up striking a deal with a landlord. Okay. Spending very little money for renovations. So we really, we had... You know, build a DJ booth, put some lighting up, and we ended up uh, talking to this contractor guy that we met up there to kind of build some of these things for cost. Okay. okay. With some free beers yeah. as an incentive. That's awesome. You know, when, you, you know, when you're young, you yeah. have to be very, very resourceful. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? A yeah. dollar goes a long, long yeah. way. Yeah. You know, and so we ended up opening this place for very, very little money. Huh. And it took us about three months to start packing them in. Wow. You know, so we we're getting a lot of the SIUE students. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. What was that called? What? It was called Club Kaboom. Club Kaboom. Yeah. And how long did you do that? For about three and a half, four years. Wow. Yeah. And then did you sell it or I sold, what? I sold it to my partner at the time. My okay. My 50% partner at the time. All right. I'm going to have to go to Club Kaboom. <clears throat> You know what? We have Z1077 there. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember Rick Idle. Sure. Boomer. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys used to come through the, the live remotes there. That's amazing. Right. <laughs> and still a kid, really. Oh, my God. I knew, I knew nothing. And then compared to what I know now, which is also nothing. Uh, well, Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You look back like I should have never made no, this work. Oh, I should have never. <laughs> But that's fun, right? Oh, absolutely. And then, like you said, when you you only got a handful of money to work with, you become extremely creative. Oh, my goodness. Well, part of the lesson, though, I think, is, um, as Munsock said, he talked to anybody and talked to everybody, right? And we've talked about the value of data, but it's more than that. It's about, you know, and I hate to say this, networking, you know, that's gotten a bad rap but um but it it all came from talking to people if a 21 year old kid didn't talk to the owner of the hotel then he would have passed on it probably because he couldn't pay the dough i think when you're at that age and you're you're wanting to make something happen yeah you start to realize that there are um relationships that you have to be able to have generated to make some of these deals happen. And obviously the landlord conversation was very, very important. Sure. Even the contractor that was willing to do the work for free yeah. for beer. Crazy. It, it's, it's those deals that I think you make in a very, very early part of your entrepreneurship. Yep. That is very, very important, I think. You know, a, cu- a couple of things. So um, I think that people get tunnel vision of how things are going to go down, right? I mean, in this case, this person... I assume owns this bar, even though she kind of didn't. She was just waiting to get kicked out because mm-hmm. she wasn't paying any rent. Uh, I assume this contractor is going to charge me to do this stuff. I assume we can't barter. 
but but you know that that's important to keep your mind open and not get tunnel vision. And the other thing is is you know grandma's lessons. Uh, one of those are you don't get unless you ask, right? Right. And I think too, it's from Rich Dad Poor Dad that I love is like find the deal, tie it up, and then go find the resources to make the deal happen. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And it's like you said, you just ask. Yeah. 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 So so from there, where did you go? So from. Kaboom. Uh, so I ended up selling my business uh, there, um, uh, and I own 50% of the business. Okay. And I ended up send, send, uh, selling that and ended up going to a place uh, to do pharmaceutical sales. Yeah. Yeah. So I did work for Pfizer, which is kind of funny. So, so now yeah. you're out of the hospitality business. Yeah, out of the hospitality. I was doing a lot of working really hard, actually. You know, you're, yeah. you're working until 5, 6 o'clock in the morning in the nightclub sure. business. So I wanted to kind of get out of that scene for a little bit and did the pharmaceutical for about three years. Okay. And when I came out of that is when I opened up Drunken Fish. So you were putting some money away <clears> as you were selling. Away. So, I, so I, I, I made some money selling the business, obviously, to my partner at the time and, I, and stashed that away hmm. and saved up some money for about three years. And that's when I opened up Drunken Fish in Westport, Westport. Plaza yeah. in 2003. Yeah, 2003. I mean, you know, I've been working... In St. Louis since 1984. 1984 is when I came back from Arizona. And uh, the Drunken Fish, at least at Westport, seems, in my mind, I was trying to figure out when the first time I was there, it's like, it seems like it's been around forever, Mm -hmm. right? And you still have that location. I do. Yeah. Yeah, We just actually did some light uh, renovations, changed the whole front facade there, but that's the original location. People always think the Central West End is the first location. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, but it's Westport that kind of started everything. Yeah, and and Westport has changed over the years for sure. I mm-hmm. mean, it's had periods of the ups and downs, ups and downs mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, is it in the up mode or is it in a down mode or what? You or know what? It's been same? such a steady for uh, for us. It's been a very steady business. I mean, all year round as well as well as we've had during that two thousand and eight financial yeah hit, sure. that crisis. We took a little bit of a hit in terms okay. of sales, but for a couple of years. But other than that, it's been a pretty workhorse, that location. And, wow. And how, and how did you get into uh, sushi? What, what made you decide that that's the type of restaurant that you wanted? You know, there was a certain time period where I was eating a lot of sushi. And I think it's that love of, man, this is good food. Yeah. And uh, I was eating it regularly. I'm like, man, and the place that I was going to was busy. Yeah. I'm like, you know, this might be a good opportunity. So when I, when I was looking around in St. Louis, I was really looking around in the Central West End first because I thought that was a really cool area. Sure. And there wasn't really nothing available sure. for what I was trying to do sure. with not a whole lot of money. And so um, ran into a uh, ran into a friend in, in Westport hanging out at Trainwreck, and and I was looking around, and there was Wilbur and Gills that okay. was empty. So I called the landlord up, and I'm like, "Hey, you know, uh, is that space empty?" And they're like, "Yeah." And I was like, "You know, I'm trying to open up a sushi restaurant." Yeah. And they were kind of hesitant about striking a deal with a person that's never opened up a restaurant. Sure. You know, I, obviously, I opened up uh, sure. a nightclub in the past, but. Right. They're, they're a little reluctant to giving any money out, but, you know, I had to 
I think I had this pers- persuade him that, hey, you got to take a risk to be able to sure. you know, make something happen. Plus, you got an empty space. Plus, you got an empty space. You may end right? up with an empty space. <coughs> right? You already got an but empty space. But at the space. time, I didn't have a name of the restaurant, what, sure. the, what the food was going to be. Yeah. And so it was all of these conversations with the landlord about, hey, this, you got to trust in me. Sure. And I got all this going on. What's sure. the name of the restaurant? I don't know yet, <laughs> but it's going to be great. You're going to have all this food. Yeah. And so they're they're taking a little bit of risk at, uh, with me at the time. I thought, you know, they gave me a little bit of money for TI, but we're able to open up that place. And I think within three months, mm. I felt really good about what we're doing. And so let's talk about the brand for a second. I've always loved your brand, Drunken Fish. Did you come up with that? I did. I did. Yeah, I mean it's a cool name, right? And uh, you know, there are other sushi places. That's it. It, it is interesting to me that. St. Louis, and if you look at St. Louis City, it's a tiny little city, 270,000 people. I'm probably being generous, right? Mm-hmm. But the St. Louis region is three point, maybe 3.5 million people. It's moving up, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not insignificant, no. for sure. But in that, and, and maybe I'm a little uh, you know, jaded because uh, I've known you for so many years, mm-hmm. but I can't think of many sushi restaurants still to this day that specialize that specialize truly specialize in sushi as opposed to yeah we've got this thing on our on our menu but we're really not specializing in sushi. You know, at the time there was maybe four places that were serving sushi in, in total. Saint, total. Total. And so we were wow. and so we were bringing something that I thought hey you know I have a pretty good background in, in bars yeah. and liquors and beers and all sure. of that. So really coming up with a name that kind of um, um, kind of kind of mentions that a little sure. bit. You know, drunken with drinking yeah, and, awesome. and fish with sushi. And, yeah. and really in the beginning uh, process of going and trying to developing a brand is, hey, we're going to do maybe 75% liquor yeah. and do a little bit of food. Yeah. So that was the whole concept yeah, in well, the beginning. It didn't turn but, out that but way. Obviously it didn't turn out that <laughs> way. Flip-flop. Yeah. And we knew right away because when we first opened up, we had a very small food menu. But we were still we were still serving about fifty percent food huh. for the first month. Mostly lunch out there or <coughs> lunch and dinner. Lunch and dinner. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Did ahead. you hire a chef at the very beginning, or we did? You did. Yeah. Yep. And then how did you find him or her? We ended up finding this person. Uh, he was a Croatian chef, so hmm. he was uh, somewhat where, Asian. You know, I mean, he was Croatian. That's, you know? that's where the best sushi <laughs> chefs come from. Croatia. Yeah, yeah. Croatia. I, you know, uh, emphasize the Asia part, uh, you know, and he was a very talented chef. He was with us for a long time. And um, and after a while, you know, I didn't want it to be a, a restaurant that was named that was known for a chef. And so we started uh, systemizing things a little bit differently, you know, because you see chef driven restaurants a yeah. lot. And when the chef is there, it's great. When the chef's not there, it's not yeah, so great. Right. And so we decided to kind of not go down that direction. Let's like, yeah. hey, let's the food uh, be the highlight of what we do, not not the chef. But sushi chef, I mean, to me, uh, the preparation of sushi, that's a specialty, isn't it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, where did he learn his skills? I mean, he's, this guy pretty much made everything. I mean, not just sushi, but you could say, can you make spaghetti and meatballs? He would make the best spaghetti and meatballs. Interesting. I mean, this guy was just so talented food-wise. Yeah. And I, I do believe that in order to make great food you do have to understand food a lot sure. and, and most great chefs 
have a very high, keen sense of smell and taste. Right. And so he knows what good food tastes like, and he made some really incredible food, not just with sushi, but obviously sushi was really, really good too. And in the beginning, our menu was developed around his uh, his skill sets in sushi. Okay. So, um, and for those of you, uh, you know, who are not familiar with the brand, uh, we'll put the brand up there uh, on the uh, podcast uh, with Munsock's uh, permission. Uh, so um, you can see it. It's a very cool brand. I've always always liked it, both the name and, uh, and the imagery associated with it. It always looks – I always think that a brand should make you look like you're much bigger than you are. Mm-hmm. Like people see the brand and they go, oh, yeah, I know that brand, mm-hmm. right? Even if – we only got one restaurant at Westport at this sure, point. Sure, Yeah. And, and then, you know, it's kind of funny now. We're, you know, 18 years into this journey with uh, Drunken Fish, and it's hard It's hard to meet people that haven't eaten there or sure. have heard about it. And so I think it's, I think we've done a pretty good job, myself and, and our team, you know, promoting the brand. And, and, and we've been sure. around in St. Louis for a long and time. And how, how many locations are there? We have four locations, three here in St. Louis and one in Kansas Kansas City. City. And the Kansas City one's been out there for over 10 years in the Power and Light District. You know, I've never been to the Power and Light District. It's pretty impressive. Is it still hopping Mm -hmm. over there? Well, I was just there last week, and it's because of the pandemic. I think they're about a couple months behind us in terms of restrictions. Oh. And so because Power and Light District is an entertainment district. Sure, lots of people together. Yeah, there's a lot of restaurants that are still out right now. Oh, wow. 50% of the restaurants are still closed. Yeah. And a lot of the entertainment bars and, and clubs are still closed. And so there's a lot of, it's a little bit less foot traffic right now. Sure. And your footprint, how many square feet on average are your are your restaurants? So the smallest one is about 3,400 square feet. That's Westport. Mm-hmm. And the largest one is uh, over 8,000 square feet. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's in KC? Yeah, that's in wow. KC. Yeah. Wow. So after the Westport experience, it started getting good. <clears throat> Obviously, you, you realized it was a hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how do you decide that, okay, this is, this is it. I'm going to stick with this. This is working. Obviously, you stuck with it. It's been two decades uh, that you've been doing this. Um, when did you realize that, yeah, this is, this is something that now I'm going to scale, uh, make bigger? I think, I think within the six months, I knew that oh. it was profitable. Yeah. And so the thing that I didn't know at the time as a, as a young kid is – by expanding out, am I taking some of our existing customer base right. and moving them over to the new location? I didn't know that answer. Right. And so when I was kind of looking out around for the second location, um, uh, I was afraid of, you know, taking away some of our customer base from Westport. Sure. But that, that wasn't the case. I mean, I, I, you know, I think, you know, when you're talking about marketplace in, in, in certain neighborhoods, you know, as long as you have a strong brand, usually people don't go too far out of their zones. Sure. You know, you might have a little bit of overlap, but not a lot. And yeah. So if you, when we opened up the Central West End, we had a whole new, brand new area to to promote for. Yeah, wow. and that's that's important too because if you start cannibalizing your customers, yeah, now you got double the overhead. Exactly, yeah. and it gets exactly. real scary. That was a, that was a tough decision because yeah. I, I knew the location was great in the West End. Sure, but I was a re- I did not know that answer. But you know, I was like, you know, if I I got to take this chance to be able to know that answer. But that West yeah. End, that's been. A destination location for St. Louis for for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, would you consider the West End location kind of your your you know real hallmark location? Is that? I think for sure in St. Louis, it's definitely. 
Um, it's, it's more recognized. Cool. It's a hip yeah. and cool area of St. Louis. Yeah. A lot of people go down there to to go to a restaurant or go hang out. Sure. And so, uh, and a lot of people know Drunken Fish from the Central West End location. Sure. Yeah. yeah I think there are uh, anchor places down in the Central West End. I think Drunken Fish is one. I agree. I think Bar Italia is one. I'm running out of anchors because some of those restaurants did not survive. Uh, COVID. What was the one on the corner? I used Sub Zero Gambling yeah. Whiskey House. I yeah, mean, they were yeah, they were staple. House. Yeah, they were they were opening up around the same time I was. Yeah, and uh, we opened up probably about six months before Sub Zero did. Okay, and uh, I remember that. I remember them coming over to eat sushi all the time. They weren't even going to do sushi, by the way. Okay, you know, Sub Zero had their own vodka bar yeah, concept sure. and. And they saw how well we were doing in the, yeah. in the West End about six months, and they ended up, you know, kind of selling sushi afterwards. But you know that corner location. I mean, that's a that's a big deal. I mean, you really appear to be an anchor. Yeah, it's yeah. a sexy location. And then being yeah. right next to Bar Italia, that helps too. I think those guys. I've met them a few times. Some of they, the most wonderful guys yeah, in the industry. Nice Bar guys, Italia people, right? Yeah. And they will treat you like old friends, even sure. if you haven't been there at all, or you haven't been there for ten years. Yep. Yeah, and now they started in a tiny little place. Yeah, the old uh, Starbucks location there. Yeah, it was tiny. 30-something years ago. Wow. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, so the Central West End has changed. I know Brennan's is now across the street, and I was shocked when they moved out. What's the hamburger joint that I'm trying to think of? Shake Shack? No, the hamburger joint that just went out of business. Was there forever? In the West End? Yeah. Oh, Culpepper's. Culpepper's. Yeah. Yeah. How the hell did that happen? I don't know the whole detail, but I know the chess club. Um, we, I mean, you know, I don't know if you know the, who the owners of the chess club is, but no. he got, he's got a lot of money and he oh. wanted to expand his chess club. So that's how he taken ended up out by the chess club. Yeah, that's the know, lowest that's of the low. <laughs> checkmate. checkmate. <laughs> I want that corner. You know, seriously. Yeah, so what do they? What do they do at the chess club? Clearly, I, I I know checkers, but I don't know the lesser game of chess. I, I people go there to play chess, and <laughs> I heard, horrible. I heard, I heard it's one of the most well-known places in the world for chess oh. is in St. Louis. Wow, there's like several grandmaster wow. chess players here in St. Louis. Hmm. I won't be obviously. Going. I'm not one of them, and I know you're not, Eric. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing like a robust che- uh, checkers game, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, it's right down here. Is it <laughs> on the on the side of the building down here? Is painted like the 1894 World Chess Tournament was here, oh, or something like that. Yeah. Oh, so we so, are known for chess. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. St. Louis is known for chess. <laughs> St. Louis is known for chess in the world. Wow. We just don't play chess, so we don't know about it. But people who play chess, they know St. Louis is the hub. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) The most dangerous city in the world. Also known for chess. Isn't that crazy? That's ironic. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So Central West End. Now you got Central West End established. That was a big big nut. That cost a lot of money, for sure, to get into. Yeah, for sure. But now this is uh, successful. About how long did you... Uh, wait until you realize, okay, now this is really working. I got a second location. Well, the second location came exactly a year after I opened up Westport. So oh. it, was, it was. You weren't a, waiting. That's no. Yeah. It was. So I realized six months we were doing pretty well. You're still within, in your 20s at this point. Yes, I was. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. And then within six months, I found the second location, which is, was, which is Central West End. Okay. So we opened up within a year, two locations, and then we waited. Uh, about a year and a half until 
I bought the building down on the landing. So the landing location uh, came in 2006. So the landing location, 2006, uh, the landing was still very much a hot spot. Mm -hmm. Bars, comedy clubs, uh, you know, it it was a desk. St. Louis is interesting because it had these neighborhoods or, and it still does, I assume every city does. Uh, Now it's the Central West End and the Grove and it's changed over time. Mm -hmm. used to be Washington Avenue. I think that's dead as far as I know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where we are at uh, Aspen Legal, we're in the Locust uh, Building District and I think Business District and I think that's going to be a hot spot only because they're putting all this money in a Major League Soccer Stadium two blocks away. So it'll be interesting to see Mm -hmm. what happens uh, right here. But St. Louis had these pockets of destination locations. The landing was certainly a destination location uh, at that time. Uh, things have changed at the landing as well, or at least they appear to have changed. So, but the landing worked out well. I mean, you're now you're three for three. Um, I mean, h- how is that possible? Do you do you believe that it's just the quality? and the system and the pricing and you can duplicate this so people were satisfied all over at every location. I think when it comes to consistency in the business, the third location really taught me a lot about systems. Okay. I think with two locations being able to go to both of those locations and and having a pretty pretty flat process where I had some control over uh, the few managers that I had, sure, uh, we were able to make sure the drunken fish roll tasted like a drunken fish roll in sure. the West End from yeah. Westport. But when we got to the third location, is when I started having some issues with quality oh. or consistency. Oh, that that was that all about the management? I think it's not your management. Obviously, it's all about management and leadership. Yeah. You know, I blame a lot of that on my shoulders at the time of how do we create some of those things to create cons- and I, it really is I think the demise of a lot of businesses is mm-hmm. not having that level of consistency sure well, if it's a product or service over and over again sure so I started to realize hey you know I need to start systemizing some things having yeah. recipes in place having training manuals in place and we started working a lot on the infrastructure of the business at that time yeah because so you, you started acting like a franchise system <coughs> yeah that's right as okay. opposed to let Nick show you how to make this. Now we're going through a recipe that's oh. already there. Yeah. It's got some video training there. It's got Good. some recipes So centralized there. training in Centralized training uh, where it was, instead of word of mouth, we were going through a, uh, a checkbook or sure. a, a checklist. Sure. And so we started standardizing and putting a lot of work toward that infrastructure, meaning we're creating uh, inventories, we're creating recipe books and training manuals all tied around creating a consistent experience. Okay. And so I think that took really several years. Right. Because it, it's not an easy process because you're, you know, most restaurant people, you know, they, they try to operate in the restaurant. Sure. And to get yourself out of the operations to work on infrastructure is a really hard thing to do for that, most businesses. That is so true. I mean, <clears throat> I know, uh, well, a guy, Ron Cody, that had show me's uh, and his favorite location was the landing location. And uh, he came to me years ago to franchise. He wanted to expand. He was an ex-Hooters guy. And every time I went into, for lunch, the landing location, who was who was making the french fries or grilling the hamburgers? Ron Cody. Mm. And it's like, dude, you're your worst enemy because you've got to be an executive. You've got to be 
in control over the whole business as opposed to, you know, on a very molecular scale, yeah. you know, but he, he couldn't stop getting out of the operations. You know, I think I think that's one of the hallmarks mm-hmm. or a sign where a young entrepreneur, in my opinion, going back and looking at my history and what I've done wrong and a lot of things I did, you know, mm-hmm. right. But mm-hmm. but I think when you are in the operations, you shouldn't expand. Yeah. You know, it's the advice that I give most business people. It's like, it I have a lot of friends. Out. You know, if you're in the operations, yeah. then you shouldn't expand to another location. Yeah. You know? And yeah. That, that's, you know, that goes back to the whole thing, work on the business, not in the business. That's right. And that's tough for a lot of people. Yeah. And, it's hard and, for a lot of people. And that sounds just like, uh, you know, just a slogan or whatever, right? And it goes against what Dad told me. If you want to do something right, you got to do it yourself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is you can still take that lesson but what you're doing right is something at a higher level than that 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 granular level yeah. being at the restaurant. But you still had to be running yourself ragged between these three locations. You know, I think I think when it came down to probably the the, the third year of me operating, you know, three restaurants. Sure, I made a I made a concerted effort to make sure that I didn't get into the operations. Yeah. So even at that moment, I knew how important it was for me to not be in the operations. So yeah. I haven't been in. I haven't really even been in the restaurant operating, closing, running shifts or managing probably in the last, you know, 15 years. That's awesome. You know, but uh, I'm not saying that's not an important work. Obviously, those are that, that that's very, very important work. But sure. I knew if I was in the operation, I couldn't work on my business. Yeah. You know, uh, so I think about those people who, uh, well, uh, the guy that last ran Anheuser-Busch, uh, Peacock, he started uh, as pushing beer, delivering beer, all right? And he'll tell you that, you know, I'd go to see stores and it'd be me pushing the keg in, right? And then he worked his way up. And there's some value in that, I understand. You can understand the business uh, from the, the, I don't want to say the lowest level. That's not fair to the guys pushing the barrels, but you know what I'm talking about. You can understand the whole Mm -hmm. process. And there's value in that for sure. But to know that, um, you had to avoid getting stuck in the operations, particularly for a 26, 27-year-old person. Uh, that's probably wise beyond your years mm-hmm. at, at that point. That, that's great advice, for sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Especially if you want to expand. I, and I have a lot of friends that are in the business, and I said, you know, it's, it's when something goes wrong. Yeah. And you don't have to go in still. It's the the good tall tale sign that you got things set up. Yeah. Like something or somebody calls in sick yeah. or you know what I'm saying? Sure. When something goes wrong and you still don't have to go into your business. And they're not calling you, they're calling that's somebody right. else. I think yeah. that's a good sign that you're ready to expand or grow your business or scale. So Kansas City was your next location, but that was different because that's that's out there. That's a five hour, whatever it is, four and a half hour drive away. Mm-hmm. Um, that had to be scary. Yeah, it's uh, you know that location came about uh, through Ballpark Village. Okay, I mean Ballpark Village was supposed to happen like seven years before it happened. Okay, you know? and so was the, Ballpark Village before Kansas City? No, no. Okay, no. but Ballpark was supposed to happen a lot. A lot earlier uh, than it okay. did. Yeah. So those Cordish guys were in St. Louis at the time. Yeah. And I ended up meeting up with the Cordish people. 
way before Ballpark ever happened. Cordish is the, is the group that develops these big entertainment districts, including the Power and Light District. I think they have one in Nash. I, I know they have one all over the they place. They have one. Yeah, they have multiple locations around the country. They're out of Baltimore, I think. Baltimore. They're out of Baltimore. Yeah. But they have uh, one in Louisville, Kentucky, Nashville. Yeah. Texas, yeah, and they do they do pretty good, I think, mm-hmm. uh, with their developments. So, so you met with Cordish, and they started talking about this development that they were going to put or this entertainment. They were district. talking to me about Ballpark Village. It's like, hey, oh. you, you want to open up a Ballpark Village location? You know. And oh, I by said, the oh. way, these things are pre-sold for like years ahead of time because that's how they get the money. Sure. To develop the thing in the first place. Right. And so I told him I wasn't really interested in ballpark because of the close proximity to the landing location. Very close. So they talked me into uh, going out to Kansas City. They said they just opened, not that long ago, opened up the Power Light District mm-hmm. and they should, uh, I should go out there and take a look. And okay. So, um, yeah, so that's what, what happened. So I went out there and, and I had a buddy that lived out there. So they were, he was kind of showing me around uh, Power Light District and, and there's a lot of fun things going on down there at the time. Yeah. It's it's really got established now. There's a lot of apartment complexes that are surrounding sure. that area. But it re- reminded me a little bit about how Ballpark Village started. Okay. Is when I went out there back 10, 11 years ago. Okay. Is the, 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 the kind of the sounding board in the neighborhood was Power and Light opened up and they took a lot of businesses away from Westport and sure. the River Market and sure. the Plaza. And a lot of the mom and pops kind of closed down. And I think Ballpark kind of went through the same kind of scenario. Sure. Like a lot of the local businesses were closing down. Yeah. And now, 10 years later, those those areas are thriving in sure. Kansas City. And because I think, you know, development in general is good for the community. Sure. You know, no matter who's doing it. Yeah. You know? And Kansas City has, um, again, whether you like or dislike the political leadership there, Kansas City has been on a faster pace for developing than St. Louis for quite a while. Oh, yeah. for sure. It's a much more progressive city, in my yeah. opinion. Who would know, right? Yeah. Kansas you City. You would think it's not, but it right. is. Right. Yeah. So um, so that was a challenge, for sure. Obviously, that was successful because you weren't done building. Uh, and you built, finally, they talked you into doing uh, Ballpark Village, which, mm. for those people who are listening who are who are not familiar with St. Louis, it, the name is exactly what it is. It's, uh, it's a smaller entertainment district built around the new Bush Stadium. I guess it's not new anymore. It still seems new to those of us who yeah. grew up in St. Louis. Uh, but, um, and now that has apartment complex. I, I think apartment complex is on either end of it, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It's around. Well, I think it's kind of going through the same journey as Power and Light. You sure. know? So they just made the announcement last week about building uh, Three Light, which is a high-end residential complex that's oh. going to be right directly across from my restaurant. Oh, there. wow. And so they had one light, yeah. two light. And so really the first residential is kind of like one light. And okay. They're going to eventually build multiple residential around it. Interesting. And so it really brings people downtown, yeah. living downtown, which yeah. I think is good for urban living. Oh, yeah. Yeah, St. <clears throat> Louis has suffered uh, for years uh, from uh, basically people moving out of the city. So they might come into downtown to work in the city and then they'll go out in the suburbs uh, to live. Mm-hmm. And because of that, 
Not much infrastructure was built in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, grocery stores, uh, schools, etc. And um, that's really hurt St. Louis for sure. I, I started work in 1984 downtown at 1010 Market, uh, which is uh, <laughs> really ages me. Sally Jesse Raphael had her show Oof. in the bottom of that uh, where <laughs> Channel 5 was located for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I called it the step building. It's that white building that looks like steps from the side. Uh, but there was a lot more going on downtown in 1984 than there is in 2021. Yeah. Unless there's a ball game going on. Yeah. Or, right. or unless there's a hockey game. Uh, I mean, other than hockey and, uh, and baseball, um, St. Louis downtown can get a little dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it it can on a Friday night be a little scary place for sure. Mm-hmm. So much of that is going to be driven in the future by when they're going to permit the people to fill up the ballpark again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's at thirty two percent occupancy right now, which mm-hmm. which ain't great for sure. No, yeah. So at some point. <coughs> You said, okay, enough of Drunken Fish, okay? And how did that come about when you started developing another brand? Was it, was it a bit of, okay, I, I've, I've done this and I can do this well, but now I'm looking for a new challenge? How did that come about? The, the idea of opening up something different came around a time when we had a small building collapse at the building that I own. Right. And uh, it's kind of a funny story because I was working out of the conference room in our corporate office there. Right. And, and this uh, is the landing? This is the landing. Yeah. This is the building that I bought in 06. Yeah. And we have a conference room overlooking the arch grounds. Right. And my seat directly is, be- is behind the window. Okay. And uh, a friend of mine came up and asked me if I wanted to go grab lunch. I'm like, yeah. Didn't think anything of it. Left. Saved your life. Pretty much. If you look at, if you Google. The wall fell down. Oh, the wall fell down. And if you see this dangling chair. That's your chair. A dangling chair out of this window. That's my chair. Oh, wow. That's oh, my chair. You know? So, you know. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. You're right. It it's is. pretty crazy. I'm looking at that picture. I'm like, man, that's my chair. That's dangling. Which means I would have fell over that chair. No seatbelt. No seatbelt. No, <laughs> no helmet. Right. Yeah. So it was a pretty crazy situation. I came back 15 minutes later. Uh, I remember that. Whole, that. What buildings collapsed? I mean, right. you don't ever hear about these kind of right. things. You it's, know, but, old, it's old, I guess. I mean, I mean, it's a 130-something-year-old building. Right. And that south wall hits. Um, that sun hits it every day. Yeah. And at the time... They were doing demolition of the Arch parking garage. So it was shaking. And the Metrolink had construction uh, going on. So shaking. we would literally feel vibrations yeah. in the building. Wow. And so it was the, I think it was a combination of all, because we had like yeah. forensic engineers out there and they couldn't sure. exactly figure out why it collapsed. Right. And so it was a combination, I think, old building. Yeah. Um, demolition, construction. Shook it to the ground. Shook it to the ground. Right. Yeah. Wow. But it was that one, so it was the one wall, but it was a wall to your restaurant, to your office. It was, so, yeah, so, so it was two panes of window for three floors that came down. Mm. Because of all of the, you know, sprinkler system and all that water damage to the restaurant at Drunken Fish on the main level. Okay. We, we, that building was condemned, oh. obviously. It was condemned until we can get everything back in order again. Right. So that that building, we didn't start working on that building 
for two and a half years later because of the insurance. insurance oh, which why was, didn't they want to pay? I don't know. It was you know they found a reason. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God! If you ever gone through a process like that, bad it will yeah. eat you alive. How did you come out? Came out pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, good. But it took a long time. Yeah. With, it was multiple meetings, multiple meetings. So did you have to deconstruct the building more before you could build so it when back? We start, so when, we, when insurance finally said, hey, yeah, we're going to pay this out, yeah. then I started thinking about, do we want to reopen Drunken Fish? Or do we want to reopen it in a different way? Okay. Or do we want to open it smaller? So we started having these conversations of, sure. is Drunken Fish the right brand for the neighborhood at the time. But it wasn't the business's fault, so to speak. No, we were operating that day when it was... uh, Yeah, yeah. it was just something that um, happened that made you, okay, now I've got a new start at least this location. What should I do? Yeah, so... But the neighborhood was changing at the time. So think about, we had the Ballpark Village open Ah, at the time, so it was less than a mile away. Sure. So we're like, well, maybe we should do something different and do something a little bit more fast casual. Mm -hmm. And so when we started kind of kind of researching and having some collaboration conversations around that uh, obviously i'm korean and uh, i'm like well maybe we can do something fast casual around a korean brand okay and that's when the korean fried chicken concept came about huh and you came up with that yourself we did yeah oh, my okay. team and myself okay you know, mainly awesome. the recipes were you know built by me but um but yeah, it's it was, it's a fun fun menu. Yeah, and so you <coughs> when you rebuilt that building, that's the brand that you put, yeah, put in it. We decided to so the, several things. We yeah. decided to put a fast casual a fast casual concept kimchi guys on the main level. Yeah, we also decided to because of the views of the fifth floor. Okay, we decided to put an uh, an, an open venue for weddings and corporate events up on the fifth floor, and that's called something different. That's called six twelve north. Yep. And decide to take the lower level area and convert that to a second uh, event space. So we oh. have View, which is one of the room names for 612 North. Yeah. And Arc, which is also the lower every area, 612 North space as well. Okay, good. And those look out on the arch grounds. Those look out onto the arch grounds. And an the amazing river. view. Yeah. Uh, we have, uh, you got a pretty solid five-star rating for every one of our events that we have done out there. Wow. Wow, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Excellent. Food in for... Uh, so, and all that. so from the collapse of a wall came two different pro- two new products. It came six twelve north. Yeah, came Kimchi guys, and it came our entire fourth floor corporate offices. Ah, that's so, awesome. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's how we kind of landed afterwards. So um, since we're always trying to advance entrepreneurial education, this whole idea of insurance, I think people get lazy with insurance. I think they get a policy. They never read it to begin with, and um, and then they're surprised in the end that their claim isn't covered. And I'll give you some examples. Um, people should now know that there's data breach insurance that you can get, all right, which is pretty important, right? If you've got a whole bunch of credit cards and personal information, it's not cheap, but it's out there to get. And if you don't get that specific policy, don't be surprised that a data breach is not covered. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, workplace or employment practices insurance. A lot of clients will come to me, uh, well, we've had a sexual harassment claim. It's like, well, that's, you know, it's horrible, but we're okay. We've got the employment practices. Employment, who now? What? Right? 
that they didn't get employment practices. It's, it's very important to review, well, in 2020, business interruption insurance. Oh, my gosh, right? If people had it. But nobody even knew what a pandemic was. So if your insurance policy excluded or didn't mention pandemics in 2019, you'd go, what the hell? That's fine. One's never happened. So, you know, not in my lifetime. And then all of a sudden we have a pandemic. I just believe that insurance companies are looking to find a way to not cover your loss. All right. And the reason why I believe that is insurance companies are filthy, filthy rich. Mm -hmm. And you don't get that way by paying claims. You get that way by not paying claims. So uh, another lesson learned is, you know, a Munsock took two and a half years to get this resolved. To get an answer. Yeah. And my guess is the insurance company was working extra hard not to have to pay for that building. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, And to have to go get a lawyer to... And and, and to go back, I'll add a little something funny to this, is that when I bought the building, Mm -hmm. because it was an old building, and I don't know if it was my insurance agent person, or I, I, it was such a long time ago, but I bought extra building collapse coverage. Wow. Not joking. He he actually bought the the policy, and and yet they still try to get out. Oh, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I go, wow, I bought extra building collapse coverage on this building. Now, your building wasn't the building that, uh, didn't Nelly have some sort of studio down there for yeah, a while? Yeah, Nelly, uh, the St. Louis rapper, had um, a building up on, uh, what is that, First Street. Oh, but that wasn't close to your building. I mean, it was it's a block a away. Up. Yeah, it's a street up. Yeah, that he's he's no longer in business, is he? I don't think so. I saw his original mansion out in uh, Eureka uh, <laughs> for sale for like six hundred fifty grand. Okay, yeah. Yeah. and he spent you know millions of dollars on that thing, but it was all overgrown. And you know what the hell are you gonna do living out in Eureka, right? Yeah. Um, all right, so. When did you realize that your second concept, well, your third concept was the venue, uh, which, which is uh, doing well, but this kimchi guys, uh, the Korean fried chicken, do I, did I say Korean that right? fried chicken, yeah. Yeah. So now you're opening up a second location of that? or is We're it? opening up a second location right now. Yeah. Uh, that'll open up sometime probably in June of this year. Yeah. And so a couple months from now. So we're, we we got the permits into the city right now, and it'll be on the Skinker, on the corner of Skinker and Forest Park Parkway where okay. Caldies is located. Right, oh, yeah. right by Wash U. <clears throat> right yeah. by Wash U. So that'll okay. be our second location. We've been kind of developing the recipes and that brand for the last couple of years, and I, I feel really good about the, the menu now. And do the... Uh, the the data that you get back. Well, first of all, let's go back to Drunken Fish. If you had to describe the general customer of Drunken Fish, and, and maybe there's no general description, but but how does that play out? Um, obviously, the West End is different than the Central West End, which is different, but maybe not so much than sure. the Power and Light District. What is what would the data show that your normal customer is? I think I think our normal customer base for drunken fish is, you know, I say college student yep. to, you know, forty to forty five year old, you know, yeah. you know, professional, sure, and the person that is going out and dining in, yeah, I would say is the main customer base. Yeah. Now during the pandemic, I was very very surprised the amount of takeouts people were doing. Ah. 
for out sushi, of right? For sushi, yeah, for sushi. Because I always felt that our brand uh, was very, very, very strong in the interaction. Sure, you know, with the server, with all of that. But, but that is, but that is interesting because <clears throat> I think the biggest sushi operator in the United States. Uh, operates in grocery stores, um, mm-hmm. and I think it's called uh, what's it called? I call it Tidal Wave, but it's the another another word for Tidal Wave. Uh, and um, that when you go into a Deerberg's, for example, sure. you see this little unit, and they're producing sushi there. They might have gotten people used to sushi for takeout. Yeah. It's not it's not yeah. abnormal. Yeah. I mean we had a five percent takeout model at the time. Tsunami. It's called tsunami. Yeah. Five yeah. percent takeout model before the uh, pandemic and then afterwards we went skyrocketed all the way to hundred percent obviously. And then now it's sitting right around forty five, fifty percent. And people even though they can dine in, yeah. they're still getting it for takeout. Interesting. That's great. Yeah. So COVID changed a lot and not in a bad way. No. Yeah. No. So, um, so through COVID, you were able to uh, thrive or more than survive because of the takeout. Uh, and obviously, the PPP loans that everybody should have taken mm-hmm. didn't, didn't hurt either. Sure. Right. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. And now, kimchi uh, guys, is the crowd different for that? I think the crowd is a little different because it's that... It's the fast casual model. Yeah, uh, we already knew that it was going to be strong in takeout, so our sales doubled, if not tripled, during the pandemic. Jeez. So we we were in a good place with kimchi guys, yeah. for sure. And so uh, we've been kind of honing on the menu, honing in on the menu, and making modifications and yeah. adding things and getting feedback. And it took us a couple of years, but I feel really good about where the menu is and obviously our cream fried chicken is our best seller but we got some really good uh bowls barbecue cream barbecue meat bowls and bibimbaps and yeah and things of that sort. so basically like for you guys <clears throat> during covid that allowed you to basically go in and and work on your menu and, and get it mm-hmm. dialed in so now when you open up out here at forest park um you're going to be in a really good position to have a I, a, a a product that's going to hit hard, especially in that area. Yeah, I think so. You know, and I think, I mean, one of the things that we worked on really uh, strongly right when COVID hit is the way we order. You know, we had this, you know, order and pay method now that's implemented in all of the brands. And it's really, you guys have been to restaurants where you guys scan a QR code yep. and, and get a menu popped up. But our process, you do the entire process. You order yourself, uh, you pay, you can reorder. Reduce your overhead. Yeah. So yeah. We've, been, we've been able to save some significant labor and overhead around that process because, first of all, it is it does take a little bit of time to get used to if you're a customer. But it's kind of like I always explain it like the first time you went through a checkout line at Schnucks. Yeah. You know, it's like that self-checkout line you were kind of avoiding in the beginning. Yeah. But now I kind of tend to go to it first because it's too. faster. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so, and I remember when it first came up, I, I avoided it as well and I didn't like it. And I, and I tell the customers the same way, hey, just use it a couple times. You're going to love it because it's faster. You don't have to wait for a, a waiter to come up and, and reorder a drink. Yep. You can pay when you want to leave without waiting for a, uh, a server to come up. And so it's a, it's a very efficient process. Our voice and comps went down significantly because, think about it, you're yeah. doing the order and there's no mistakes yeah. that are happening. And as soon as you fire off a drink or a food item, it goes straight to the kitchen or bar. Yeah, you can't say, I ordered this instead of this. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, yeah, you ordered it. 
Yeah, you know, a friend sent me a message the other day, and she said, could you imagine this pandemic 20 years ago without the technologies that we have now? It would have been a thousand times worse. And we've talked about this. It is amazing. It doesn't surprise me that... So this is our sixth podcast, and everything that we have talked about in these podcasts builds on the other, right? There's experiences that are shared that are common. There are common lessons to entrepreneurship. It doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. And one of the things we talked about is COVID brought a lot of positive things, right? It, it taught us how to be more efficient, for sure. And, and my example was stupid, but I'll use it anyway, right? So when I used to get checks from clients, all right, I used to take them to the bank. Now I go click, click, in, right? Yeah. And it's, that sounds like a little thing. It's a huge thing because as soon as the check gets to me, it's in my bank account. And I've still got a co- an original copy, which I mm-hmm. file away just in case I need it one day, mm-hmm. right? And, um, I mean, COVID brought a lot of efficiencies because of all of these apps and developments. And, mm-hmm. I, and, and for, for kimchi guys and for drunken fish... It was all positive, or at least it sounds like. You know, I feel bad for some of the other um, businesses that didn't take advantage of some of the technology that was available. Yeah, and some of the delivery services they could have probably, you know, got on. Yeah, around that time to help their businesses because you know I just read somewhere that one hundred eighteen thousand restaurants are permanently closed. Oh, we talked about that the other day. I'm surprised it's that little. Yeah, yeah, and and, you know, like even for my stores i mean i can sit right here i can pull up a cash register right here and i can run a transaction here or i can run a transaction off my phone and right. like i can see everything like sure, computer, right. i can right. i can look how many and you can do like i can look on and be like how many cla do i have in stock sure. boom i know like right, it's sure. really yeah. and you, you gotta embrace it or you you're gonna get passed you up you will get you passed up yeah. yeah so how do you still keep interested in the drunken fish when kimchi guys is your new baby, well, I mean, our bread and butter is drunken fish, okay. you know. And I think, I think one of the things that we're working on with our company, so Hospitality Group, is mm-hmm. is coming up with some brands that we can scale together. So I don't know if I told you this, but we're opening up a coffee shop called Miss Java sometime at the end of this year. Yeah. So we're really we're going to have an event space six twelve. Yeah. Kimchi guys. Uh, Miss Java and Drunken Fish. Wow. Yeah. And so, and I think when we have those. And he's brands, still in his 20s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Multiply uh, by. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I think that's. Uh, that, so I, I think. This I is think, a big deal. I mean, that's a lot of content. And it all started by stumbling in, not stumbling into the travel lodge. Yeah. Well, but that's awesome, right? Yeah. yeah. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. So tell us more. Where's the, where's the first coffee shop going to be? That's going to be it. So the, the right side of my building is is Kimchi Guys. Oh. And the left side will be Miss Java. So, so that's you're all, going into the landing. Yeah, it's the landing. Yeah. yeah. It's going into the landing. And this coffee shop is going to be after the after dinner crowd or, or what? We get a lot of tourists out there sure. for the arch ground. Still. 
Yes. Yes, so and the Arch Grounds has done well for you, but that opened you know, back up. The, yeah. the demise of the landing is really when the Arch Grounds started going into construction. Yeah. The Arch Parking Garage went into demolition. Yeah. And really just shut off the landing to oh. the general downtown. I you see. Know? And I think that's when everything started kind of going downhill for many years. Yeah. And now I feel like it's, there's an upside to the landing that yeah. I'm very, very excited about. And the, lead, the new leadership down on the landing wants to see more residential out there ah. and more and attract more retail out to the landing. You know, my cousin runs the arch. He has for years, David Grove. And if if a connection would ever help, uh, okay. let me know. Sure, right? sure. Because that landing organization and David, who controls that federal park, which yeah. is what it is, uh, you know, it, it, they should work together. You should come down. I mean, there's a lot of new changes. I mean, yeah, the streets are all new. They got a new park opening up. Oh, nice. Obviously, Peeper Lofts opened up uh, a couple years ago. That's doing well. That same developer bought over, you know, eight, nine buildings out on the landing. Well, who is that developer? Is that the dude out of Atlanta or what? David um, Mingus. Oh, I'm sorry, Brian Mingus. Brian Mingus. Yeah. I've heard that name before. Yeah. Is he local? He's, he's not, local. Oh, he's local. Yeah, he's local. Interesting. He's yeah, local. a lot of the development around here, around the Locust Business District, is being done by a guy out of Atlanta. Oh, is that right? And, uh, you know, you, you got your work cut out for you in some of these mm-hmm. locations in St. Louis, mm-hmm. for sure, because mm-hmm. they've, they've been run down for quite some time. So I, I'm going to put you on the spot, and this is, I know this is not fair because... Uh, I'm going to try to have you compartmentalize things. Uh, but if, if you had to tell someone who wanted to get into business, and it really doesn't matter what, right, whether it's a restaurant business or, or what have you, if you had a few lessons or a few uh, takeaways, what, what would you tell that person? Boy, you know, I think um, I say to take a chance, especially if somebody is younger, is take a chance in doing something that you want. You don't want to ever live your life and regret that you didn't do something. I think 100%. 100%. It's like don't live that regret. Is yes. Go try it, especially if you're younger in your 20s or 30s. Go take a chance. Yes. And I would always say if you do something that you're somewhat passionate about because, boy, if, you're, if you don't, if, whatever that topic, because people yeah. chase money. Yeah. We talked a little bit about in the beginning of this podcast about yep. greed yep. and how money can not just drive you be a be a big motivator for you right. or, sure. or or else what yeah but i think you know if you chase some passion of some interest that you have i think it becomes less of work and you'll be more uh likely to succeed sure you know? so if it is I, whatever it, that that is interesting you know people say well first of all when when Munsak comes on again after he starts the coffee shop we're we're going to have to train him it's not take a chance it's take a risk okay but <laughs> but nonetheless we 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 appreciate the kind of sideways fucking kudos that he just gave us. <laughs> but but with all that said so so my dad uh was uh, Back from World War II, he was hanging out. I think I told you the story. He was hanging out with some guys that wanted to take motels, uh, which were mom and pop back then. Remember, this 1940s. And they understood, uh, visionaries, they understood that all those guys were going to get home. What are they going to do? They're going to get married and start families, for sure. And they wanted to make a brand that um, families would feel comfortable with, would be clean, would be priced correctly. And um, and they wanted my dad to be a part of it. 
my dad and my uncle, a guy named Webb Severett, who ultimately became the master brewer for Stag Brewery in Belleville, Illinois. Uh, but nonetheless, they passed on it. They didn't take the chance. They didn't take a risk. Those guys went on and formed Ramada Inn. And my dad, before he died, uh, just a few years before he died, uh, told me that story. I never heard it before. Mm. And he said, you know what I think about every day? Passing on Ramada Inn. Mm. Passing on Ramada Inn, right? Mm. Yep. Right? And then I beat him with a shoe because it's like, <laughs> do you realize how rich I would be? <laughs> but the thing is, is that's, that's very real. When you, when you pass on something, those regrets are very real. And then the other thing that Munsock said is, love what you do. I never <sighs> understood love what you do because I've always worked for someone other than me. I was a partner at a law firm. I was a partner in another law firm. Partner just means employee with an asterisk, and you got to ask kiss all the time, right? Some dickhead that runs the firm, okay, who's not qualified, you got to kiss his ass because he's on the comp committee, and you got to fight for dollars. It's, it's a useless task, all right? But loving what you actually do, whether it's this podcast, I clearly love doing this, or meeting people like Munsock. Munsock in my relationship is that of friendship first, right? And I've told him that many times over. Uh, and I won't get into anything because I don't want to start crying. But uh, <laughs> but loving what you do is usually not associated with loving what you do for a boss. Mm-hmm. It's loving what you're trying to build uh, on your own or, or with your team. And I, I think that's incredibly important. You know, I, I tell people this all the time now, like, I flat out love slinging subs. I love vitamins. I yeah. love the business. It, I... It's not. I work seven days. I work seven days a week. I don't care. Seven like, days a week. We talked. I want to perfect this. that. You know, yeah. like yep. it's, if you if you love it, you are going to just yeah. kill it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. People would ask me, like, how many hours I work, and I go, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, right. I do what I have to do, and I never track it. I never yeah. track how many vacations I went on. And and if you're an, if you're a beginning entrepreneur or you want to get into entrepreneurship. And you think, and you're worried about when you're going to be off. Right. Don't go don't down that do direction. It. You know, you you're never off. off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I work, I work Sundays and when I worked at somebody else's law firm, even though I was a quote partner, I didn't want to work on Sunday. Right. I got Monday to dread. Right. Now I don't dread Monday. I go to bed on Sunday going, Jesus, I wish there were more hours in the day because yeah. I didn't get everything yeah. done. You That's know, the difference. And, and yeah. you need to know your lane because I'll give you an example. Like my older sister will go, I don't know how you do this. She goes, I'm going in at nine and I'm leaving at five. When I get in my car, my job is over. Yeah. And but she knows it. Yeah. Yeah. And guess what? From nine to how five, though, she, she <laughs> from nine to five, she's a rock star. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but I think yeah. I think everybody has to understand where what lane that they need to play in because yeah, when, absolutely. You, when you identify self, yourself early enough to know hey this is the lane I want to play in you're better off because some most people can't be entrepreneurs you yeah. know but when you're an entrepreneur and you you should always be an entrepreneur you're going to be you're going to love it yeah. you know and I I always felt yeah. you Eric that you were I that know. person oh, I absolutely know. he just didn't convince me yeah, yeah. Right. you were always that person you got to right. learn to take a risk yeah damn straight right yeah. Yeah. so yeah. like um, I lost my train of thought, but like I was staying in your lane, but it, like, when I was doing my FDD, yeah, I would wake, be in bed at two or three in the morning, be like, oh, I should, and I would get up, go out, log on, and yeah. next thing you know, it's 6 a.m., but yeah, you're like, right. you're in the zone, you don't I care, you love it. I love it. 
I yeah. worked yeah. seven days a week for, I felt like years. Yeah. You know, and but so. But look what you built. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so I knew uh, this podcast would be great. Munsock is is the entrepreneur um, for sure. Uh, so if you could just kind of mention your uh, brands again, and also give the URL of So Hospitality, so people can. So be So Hospitality is our company. So yep. Hospitality Group. Uh, my brands underneath that is the Drunken Fish. Yep. Uh, which is drunkenfish.com. Kimchi Guys, which is our fast casual concept. We have one location on the landing, another one coming uh, near Washu, and that's kimchiguys.com. And then 612 North Event Space and Catering is our event venue that's located on the landing as well. And uh, um, that's 612north.com. Awesome. And then Miss Java will be coming um, the spring of 2022, which is a coffee brand uh, out of the landing location as well. Fantastic. All right. Munsak is awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. You're going to hit the music? You're already slow. Last time he hit. Hot topics. That's what he hit to take us out. (laughs) 